All right, so we are deep into uh, what we call our Only God series, uh, a four-week series that we focus on uh, in an annual basis around here, intended to strengthen the way that we relate to God. Uh, the idea comes out of, you know, treating God in a way that's, you know, where only God is God, and in doing so, it strengthens our relationship with God. And if, if you're new, that's a term that we use around here a lot. Talk about a relationship with God. And, and unfortunately, for so many of us, so much of the time, that can be such an elusive idea, you know, relating personally to this God of the universe who's mystical and invisible and intangible. And, and it drives a lot of us to wonder, you know, how exactly does that work? And that's what this series, in an annual way, uh, is intended to focus on. And this year, we've kind of subtitled the series Four Point Turn because we've been looking at four specific turns or four kind of practical, very concrete changes that we can make in order to experience more of that robust, rich, vibrant relationship with God that he intends. We're trying to take that nebulous, mystical idea and make it a little more practical and concrete. That, that's what we've been doing in this series that we've subtitled for this year, Four Point Turn. And we've been, we've been anchoring the series in this single verse out of the Old Testament book of Chronicles, where God provides for his people, for the nation of Israel, four ideas, four kind of practical steps that they can take in order to experience a stronger, more robust relationship with him in that day. And we're kind of unpacking them and trying to apply them in our day to make that same four-point turn in our lives so that we can experience a richer relationship with God as well. And so I know it's been uh, thrown out before, but uh, because we're anchoring each morning in this series, uh, in this verse, we're going to throw it on the screen again and read it out loud together, okay? So we can get it on the screen here. Second Chronicles 7.14. Uh, we're going to read it out loud together across all of our locations. You ready? Here we go. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Okay, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. That's what we've been camping out in this year's Only God, you know, subtitled Four Point Turn because God provides the nation of Israel these four turns that they could make. And he says very concretely, you know, if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, we will experience a far greater quality of relationship with God than if we don't. And so each week has been devoted to making one of these turns. And already, obviously, in the sequence of them, we've talked about humbling ourselves and putting ourselves in a posture that, you know, lowers our status to elevate God's status and relate to him differently because of that. And last week, Mike walked us through what it would look like practically in a more ongoing way to pray. And he gave us some strategies and some action steps that I know a number of us have already been employing in the past week. And so that kind of draws us into this third of the four-point turn, the third turn, and that is to look at what it means to seek God's face. 
That's what we're talking about this morning. What it would look like to seek God's face. And to do so, obviously, we've got to unpack the idea of what it means to seek. And unpack at the same time the idea of what it means to seek God's face. And because the God's face side is probably more complicated, I thought that I would start there. Because I feel like, you know, when we're talking about seeking God's face... Uh, that kind of only compounds the mysticism and the nebulousness of this whole relationship with God. Because a face is kind of the, vis- the visible outward manifestation of the essence of somebody. But in the case of God, God is, you know, this invisible entity. And so the idea that, you know, we're to seek God's face isn't like we're supposed to travel to Mount Rushmore or something and find it somewhere. It, it, it kind of feels like a contradiction in terms like, like, like act naturally or, you know, race walking or airplane food or, you know, it's a contradiction in terms. It almost feels like an oxymoron to seek God's face because we're never going to really see God's face. And it kind of confuses the whole conversation about how to relate to God. But that's because we don't necessarily understand or appreciate what the idea of the face of God represented to ancient Jewish culture and what they would have understood God saying in the context of encouraging people in 2 Chronicles 7 to seek his face. See, the idea back then of God's face was more representative or indicative of the kinds of things that gave God pleasure or the kinds of things that maybe more accurately, put a smile on God's face. The kind of things that drew his attention. The kind of things that God blessed. And the reason that God's face was sort of synonymous with that idea is because God was known in in a number of different situations to turn his face, sort of metaphorically, if not literally, towards those kinds of things. Take a look at what I mean as an example in Numbers chapter 8, or Numbers chapter 6 rather. It says there, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face forward or towards you and give you peace. Right? Where God blesses you and keeps you. He's turning his face towards you. Meaning that the gesture or the idea of God turning his face towards someone represented approval, enjoyment. That God was, you know, pleased. He was pleasured by that. He was He was experiencing blessing. And and that's what the whole idea of God's face represents. It represents the direction that he's looking. The direction that where he's facing, you know, something that draws him pleasure and, and that he blesses. And so God's face was sort of synonymous with that. Anything that, you know, exuded joy or abundance or love or truth or justice or righteousness or hope or compassion, those kinds of things that exude, you know, what draws God's heart and what blesses his heart. Those are the kinds of things that, you know, metaphorically, again, if not literally, draw God's face towards. And so his face is kind of a short form for that. It's sort of synonymous with the things that God blesses. As we understand that, let's understand that the corollary is also true That the kind of things that God doesn't bless are more accurately the kind of things that bring God pain instead of pleasure. The kind of things that disappoint God and anguish him. They were often the kinds of things of which he turned his face away. Take a look at the warning that he provided in Ezekiel chapter 7. 
He says, there the end is now upon you and I will unleash my anger against you. I will turn my face away from the people. Right? In some situations where God is pleasured, he turns his face towards people. In situations where God is grieved and angered and pained, he turns his face away from people. There's a song that we used to sing uh, kind of back in the day called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And it talked there about you know, how the father turned his face away. And it was talking about the crucifixion of his son Jesus, probably the ultimate example of something on earth that grieved God's heart, that you know, just pained him and, and that he anguished over in a way that he couldn't even, that he couldn't even look. And so we've got this contrast in ancient Jewish culture of the things that drew God's attention and of which created pleasure that attracted the direction of his face and things that caused him pain and anguish that caused him to turn his face away. And that's the sort of idea inherent or synonymous with the idea of God's face. Because what God's face represented, if you could sort of see his face or pursue his face, it meant that you were pursuing the direction that his face was looking towards, meaning the direction of his blessing. And I tried to think about that, you know, in, in sort of human terms, how, how that would translate or, you know, what could sort of bring that to life. And, you know, I was thinking about some of the ways that we interact um, with kids and especially with babies. You know, I don't know if, you, if you've ever in a context like this, maybe in the lobby, you know, walked up to uh, a mother with a young child and, and tried to engage their baby. But I know that, you know, those conversations, those interactions end up in either one of two ways, right? Either you are effectively engaging the baby, in which case, you know, you've got the magic tricks or you've got the, you know, flickering lights or the candy or, you know, something that's going to draw their attention. And they'll, they'll stare at you and gaze at you and their eyes will light up and you'll have the view of their face or you'll do something like scare them or, you know, you'll look a little uglier than they'd prefer to be with. And they'll give you that kind of, and then they snap and immediately they kind of embed their face into their mother's chest. And you kind of know how you're doing with the baby, whether or not you've got their face or whether they've turn their face. It's kind of, kind of one or the other. And that's not to say that God has the maturity of a baby, but rather that, you know, in infants and in, in babies and toddlers and kids, it kind of illustrates that dynamic of what in, in ancient Jewish culture, they understood God's face to represent. God's face was synonymous with his pleasure. It was synonymous with his blessing because that was the direction he consistently moved his face towards. And so in understanding that, it kind of makes a bit more sense of what it means to seek God's face. But I think we've got to camp out a little bit as well on the idea of seeking and what's under the hood of that. I know that, you know, for most of us as kids, our first foray into the idea of the word seek is when we're little kids and we're playing hide and seek with our friends or relatives. And in a lot of ways, the game of hide and seek kind of illustrates what the essence of the word seek in a, in a biblical sense is intended to communicate. Because the word seek is intended to communicate a responsibility and an activity. That's something that you need to own that actually triggers a behavior. When you play hide and seek, it's not the, the hiding person's responsibility to reconnect in relationship. It's the one doing the seeking. It's their responsibility. And that's the same thing in, in the idea of biblical seeking. The word actually means, you know, to investigate, to 
research, to determine. One translation said, to get to the bottom of and then to actively pursue. It's a more action-oriented term that refers to a responsibility that a person bears and an activity they will engage in. The only breakdown, as I think about it, in in the hide-and-seek analogy is that most of the time where kids play hide-and-seek, they'll say, you know, count to 20 and ready or not, here I come. And then, you know, within a few seconds, if not a few minutes, they found the person and then they're done. And the seeking is very temporary, whereas biblical seeking is intended to be long-lasting, ongoing, kind of almost permanent in a, in a posture or disposition. It's sort of a, a, an ongoing way of life. And obviously, we don't have too many experiences of that in our hide-and-seek. The closest I came, you know, thinking back to my childhood was a time in, in my parents' basement. I don't know who we were playing with, you know, friends or cousins were over or whatever, but we were, we were playing hide-and-seek with people who were familiar with kind of my go-to spots. And so I had to get a little bit more creative. And I remember, you know, this time vividly where I all of a sudden had looked in the one corner of my parents' basement and noticed that my hockey bag was hanging up on some rails. And I thought, well, there's an idea. And so I pulled off one of the straps, actually unzipped the hockey bag, climbed into it, re-strapped the bag, the other hand on on the hooks, and then zipped myself closed in my hockey bag. And, you know, you might be wondering how, how little did the guy have to be to fit into his hockey bag with all that equipment. And then I know some of you are thinking that dude could probably fit in a hockey bag now. He's so small and I, I don't need to go there right now. I appreciate you just keeping those thoughts to yourself. But the, the, the point is, you know, I'm, I'm lying there and just ultra still and person couldn't find me. Found everybody else, couldn't find me. Walked around and passed me, you know, felt like dozens of times. And it felt like they were down there for like an hour searching and wrestling and all the go-to spots and combing all kinds of other spots and actually consulting with the other kids, you know, where, where I was, where I was hiding, wondering if I had cheated and whether I'd gone outside. And so at one point they took the conversation outside and were kind of searching my parents' yard to try to find me. And the whole time I was there hiding, hiding, hiding. And, and the more desperate it became, they started to wonder about my safety and was I okay? And they didn't know where I was and they were trying to get parents involved and, and the more desperate it became and the longer and the more arduous the process of finding me, you know, kind of escalated to, the more I think they were illustrating the biblical heart behind seeking. Because that's more the spirit of what it means to investigate, to research, to deliberate, to get to the bottom of and to actively pursue. It's that kind of ongoing, extended, lifelong journey. So put those two ideas together and you start to understand what it means to seek God's face. If seek is this responsibility of active engagement to research and, you know, study and investigate and consider and get to the bottom of and actively pursue. And God's face is representative of the direction that his face is facing indicative of the things that he blesses, indicative of the things that give him pleasure, the things that put a smile on his face. To seek God's face is to consistently, in an ongoing way, discern and investigate and pursue the blessing of God, the things that God approves of, the things that put a smile on God's face. And the reason, I believe, that God includes this in one of his, what we're calling his four-point turns in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is because in most of our lives, that is a drastic turn. 
That, that that isn't our default position in the way that we approach or relate to God. And I say relate to God kind of in quotes because I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times we do the exact opposite, don't we? A lot of times when we approach God, it's more to treat him as kind of a sugar daddy or a, a, a vending machine of sorts because what we want is for God to provide or support or remedy or address or be into what we're already into. As opposed to what the Bible says seeking his face and relating to him is all about. And that is finding out what he's into and actively pursuing that to a greater degree. In fact, I once read a book uh, written by an author named Henry Blackaby that was on the subject of relating to God. The, the, the book was called Experiencing God and the entire book was devoted to what we're investing this series in and particularly this morning. And the whole big idea of the book was basically summed up in this one phrase. Rather than approaching God to bless what you're doing, experiencing God requires figuring out what God blesses and then doing it. You see the difference? That's the hard turn that we're discussing today. That's the hard turn of what being people who seek God's face would produce. And it, it's, you know, not just what Henry Blackaby would talk about, it's what Jesus talked about. In Matthew chapter 6, concluding his most famous sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, so as a result, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Meaning don't, don't fixate yourself with the things of this world. He says, for the, the pagans, those of this world outside of faith, they run after those things. They fixate themselves on those things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. But instead, you know, hard right turn, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Instead of worrying about the day-to-day the -day kind of dynamics of life and only approaching God to accentuate or kind of help you with that day-to-day, -day, which God is certainly interested in. Seek the things that God is interested in and align yourself with that and God will take care of the rest is the idea that Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. Exact same idea that God is getting at in 2 Chronicles 7. Where he says, if you'll seek by faith, then you'll experience the kind of richness and robust relationship with me that I've always intended you to enjoy. So for review, you want to experience a, a relationship with God, something that's kind of mystical and nebulous and invisible and intangible. In practical speak, we've learned so far to humble ourselves, to take a posture that you know, lowers our view of who we are to elevate the view of who God is. We need to pray. We need to actively engage in dialogue with God, talking, listening, you know, communicating with him, relying on him in dependence. And today, number three, we need to seek his face. We need to actively bear the responsibility of researching, investigating, you know, pursuing, getting to the bottom of the kinds of things that God blesses, the kinds of things that put a smile in his face and then actively pursue them in an ongoing way. And what I hope you notice now that we're deep into this series is that every one of these dynamics that help strengthen our relationship with God, every one of these dynamics is something that we can practically do, something that we can bring to the table, a change that we 
can behaviorally make so that we can understand and appreciate that a relationship with God, while something that God really wants, is something that in a lot of ways is up to us in the kind of person that we are. That the condition of our relationship with God is directly related to the kind of person that we're becoming. And in this case, are we becoming the kind of person who in a more ongoing way is seeking God's face? And as I say that, I hope that that's where we collide with the good news of the message of Jesus because what is so unique to Christianity is that God doesn't just paint a vision for what our lives should look like and then leave us to our own devices to figure out how to, how to get there, how to become that. You know, the good news that we celebrated at Easter is not only that God sent his one and only son to die to pay the penalty for our sin and mistakes and to repair the bridge that exists between the, the chasm between a perfect God and imperfect people like me and like you. But as incredible as that is, that wasn't the whole story. At Easter, we celebrated that Jesus also rose from the dead and that his spirit, his resurrected spirit is alive today and available to invade the lives of anybody who's claimed that forgiving work on the cross for themselves in order to invade and empower and resource us through increasingly changing us from the inside out to become the very person that God dreams we would become. And so the whole journey of being people who would make these four-point turns, the whole journey of becoming a person who would seek God's face is actually a journey that God has sent Jesus by his spirit to invade your life to empower. Because God loves us so much that he wants a relationship with us, even if we're enemies of his, even if we're fallen and broken, even if we've disappointed him. And by claiming the forgiveness of Christ, we can receive his spiritual life to help us make that turn and to accompany us along the lifelong journey of people who aspire to seek his face in increasing ways. So let's ask ourselves, in what ways today we can increasingly partner with the Jesus who wants to increasingly partner with us to be those people, to be people who actively seek the face of God, understanding what seek means and understanding what the face of God represents. How can we be people who figure out more and more what God's into and what he blesses and then align our lives with it to a greater degree? You know, let's take a moment even right now to evaluate, you know, where the seeking level is on our spiritual dial. You know, when we pray, are our prayers just asking God and begging for God and requesting from God things? Or are we trying to hear from God? Are we requesting that God would reveal what he's into? Are we praying that God's kingdom would come and that God's will be, would be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven? Are we, are we even oriented toward what he wants? Are conversations with people talking about, you know, surface things? Or when we get together with our family, our friends, or especially our life group, are we using the gift of each other to discern and to wrestle with and consider and investigate the things and the, the, the dynamics that put a smile on God's face and how we can orient our lives around those to a greater degree. You know, when we, when we read the Bible, are we, are we, are we taking time to, to kind of audit or reflect on what it is that we're reading that puts a smile on God's face so we have that on our radar to a greater degree? Are those the, are those the kinds of things that we're trying to orient our attention Towards, Are we actively engaging in the process and the responsibility of seeking? And then at the same time, let's give some thought and some reflection to you know, whether it is 
you know, what it is that we're seeking, whether it is that we're seeking God's face or what his face, his, the direction of his view represents and pursuing the things that give him pleasure. And we think about our financial lives. Are we hoping that God would bless them to a greater degree or are we wondering how finances would put a smile on God's face and using our finances to do that to a greater degree? Are we hoping that God would put us in proximity and in position to certain people and relationships and networks and friendships? And when we consider the kind of people we associate with and the kind of people we spend our time with, or are we considering the kind of people that we could spend our time with that would put a smile on God's face and investing our time in those relationships to a greater degree? How about when we think about the quality of our family life or of our marriage or of our relationship with our kids if we have them? You know, we think about what the other people need to do to improve the quality of those relationships and asking God to help them or, or are we thinking about what it would look like to bring a smile to God's face in the way that we engage with our families, with our parents, with our kids, with our spouse, with our extended family and our close relationships and then trying to do that and implement that with the power that Jesus provides to a greater degree. You know, is that how we're thinking about our life and our, our future, our New Year's resolutions? Are, they, are we trying to get God on side with what we want and who we want to be and what we aspire to? Or are we fundamentally making that turn to first consider what kind of future, what kind of changes, what kind of person we could become that would put a smile on God's face, what he would bless, what would give him pleasure, and then trying to orient our lives in that direction and around those kinds of things in increasing ways. That's what it means to engage practically in the behavior and the process and the responsibility of seeking God's face. I know in my own life, every time I've done that, I've never been disappointed. I know that we've experienced that as a church as well. In fact, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the 10-year anniversary of our shelter and the birth of this idea that we now celebrate across all, all our locations called an anchor cause. And we've said a lot that that idea birthed, you know, even beyond the 10 years of the shelter, it birthed before we had relocated to our, what is now our Glenridge location. And I'll tell you, being part of our church back then, it was real easy to pray the prayer that God would bless our church, that God would grow us with more people, that God would provide us with more resources, that God would give us more opportunity so that we could kind of be somebody with our friends and pastor buddies. But back then, I remember us wondering what it would look like to consider what God's into and realizing how much God's into justice and compassion and the poor and the marginalized and how little of our church was defined by that. We relocated and we experimented and opened a shelter and one thing's led to another where I feel like we've pursued what would put a smile on God's face and seen it again and again and again and collectively as a community, it's strengthened our relationship with him, which can be an elusive and mystical and kind of invisible and tangible thing. But God's given us some direction today in a practical way of what you and I can do to experience a more robust, rich, strong, and free relationship with him moving forward. So let's be people personally and together as a community that encourage and challenge and nurture and stimulate each other to investigate and research and consider and get to the bottom of what would put a smile on God's face, what he blesses, what would warm his heart and encourage and challenge us to pursue that in an increasingly ongoing way. And let's be the kind of people, you know, 10 years from now, because we've 
sought to put smiles on God's face that get to enjoy an even greater and even richer relationship with him. Let's pray together. God, you know our hearts today and that deep within them, we do desire to relate to you. We long for that. And I pray specifically that you would do the work in our heads and hearts that helps us to make this point in the four-point turn. I confess personally and, and on behalf of our community that you know, we, we do go to you so many times in a vending machine kind of way, hoping that you'll bless what we're into. And I know that you want to be a God that, that meets all of our needs and even you know, gives us things that we want, that wants to hear us authentically communicate with you. But I pray that you would grow in our spirit and attentiveness to care more about what you're into. That you'd give us the diligence to research, to investigate, to search the scriptures, to talk and consult with others. And by your Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom to become the kind of people who become increasingly acquainted with your blessing and with what warms your heart. And then give us the courage, give us the tenaciousness, give us the faithfulness to make the turn to pursue that, to aspire to that, to, to incorporate more of that in our lives and our church to a greater degree. And help us, God, to be quick to give you the credit when you do and to be quick to, to honor and praise you for the, the extra degree of richness and closeness and strength in a relationship with you that we get to enjoy. Help us personally to reflect on that now, what that could look like for each one of us so that we're not just hearers of your word, but doers even today. We love you and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name, amen.